This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast, episode 80. What the actual fuck? Episode 80? Are you actually kidding me? That is like a landmark, a gigantic landmark episode. Only 20 more and we're going to hit three figures. I am (laughs) shell-shocked and delighted, of course. And in today's episode, I am super, super excited to share this guest with you because I am talking to Crystal Sutherland all about how to create rich writing, characters with depth, and yeah, we just basically have a real geek out and I take away quite a few um, tips and tricks which I've actually been putting into practice. So it is an amazing um, episode and it's also... (laughs) Like, you're going to get to hear me fangirl a little bit because Crystal is one of my actual personal favourite authors. So it was an absolute delight and uh, pleasure and if a little overwhelming to uh, get to talk to her. So, yes. But first to last week's question, which was, are you wide or in KU and why? Carrie Hardisky said, I plan on going wide. Amy Sun said, I will publish wide when it's time. I want as much control and profits as I can retain. Val Neal said, I plan to go wide for several reasons. I write slow, about a book a year. And to KU readers, I'll, uh, I'd be a flash in the pan. I want readers willing to pay for my books. I'm not dependent on the income, so I have time to play the long game and slowly build an audience. I don't like the idea of Amazon having complete control over my business. I also just don't like the thought of being exclusive. Uh, Wide means a better international presence. And like honestly, I couldn't agree more. Those are pretty much the reasons that I'm wide as well. Uh, Ian Worrell said I went wide because I wasn't getting any page reads in KU. Edwin Downward said I made the decision to go uh, all in wide about the time we have uh, the first KU apocalypse and though I've wavered uh, over it over the years I have remained wide. Tom Fowler said wide I started out in KU but I chafed at the exclusivity. A pandemic isn't the best time for changing your business model but it's worked out well so far. Dharma says, I am wide because Amazon treats its indie authors so poorly. Price caps, uh, exclusivity for KU and ACX, making perma-free a pain in the arse, pushing returns, lack of transparency. I don't want to be beholden to this £800 gorilla, even if it would make more money. I'm actually pushing sales direct from my website with my mailing list giving them a 20% off discount. I'm also really focused on engagement with my subscribers, trying to turn as many as I can into super fans. My open rate has doubled from 20% to 40% consistently. Wow, that's awesome. I'm also taking the rebellious move of raising my prices above the usual indie rates. Soon I plan to be charging between $7.99 and $9.99 for my thrillers, which are 70 to 100,000 words. It 
it may seem crazy, but trad publishers charge a lot more than that, and my books are every bit as good as theirs. I'm tired of devaluing my work. And why not? I, I would love uh, for you to like maybe post a, a thread or something in the Rebel Authors Facebook group once you've done that and um, you've had maybe a month or two like to see how it's gone. I'd be very curious to see how that goes. So this week's question then is, um, and I ask this because of uh, Crystal and um, I think you'll hear in the interview I talk about this very thing, but the question is, what's the last book you absolutely couldn't put down? Like, you know that one that made you stay up really late reading? I want to know what that book was and I apologise in advance because this thread is probably going to be expensive for everybody um looking in the in the facebook group uh, yeah please do jump in the facebook group and answer uh, which is rebel authors uh, on facebook and yeah Okie dokie. So the book recommendation of the week this week is House of Hollow by the guest Crystal Sutherland. I had what I can only describe as a pant-wettingly exciting moment when I got an advanced copy of her book through the post and I just binged read it and it was exquisite. Um, the atmosphere is chilling, the characterization is fantastic, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, the first half is smothered in uh, sticky tabs and post-its, as you all know I geek out over underlining all of the wonderful things in in books so yes really recommend it uh if you want like some schooling on how to create creepy atmospheres so i'll leave the links uh i'll leave my affiliate links to her book in the show notes Okay, in personal update, don't forget the Rebel Author Diaries anthology is open for submissions. I will leave a link in the show notes for you to submit to that. Um, and what else? Oh, yes. Oh, this is exciting. I can't believe I haven't... Wait, no. I don't know if I told you this last time. I don't think I did. Maybe I did. Did I tell you? Anyway, the thing I'm waffling is I finished uh, Side Characters, which is like such a relief. I needed the finishing energy. Now I feel like I've told you this. I'm going to move on anyway. And if I didn't, oh well. I finished side characters and I have been working on the workbook this week. And I have also been working on uh, skinny drafting the scent of death. Now, realistically, I should be editing <laughs> the two fiction books that are finished and sat on my computer waiting for edits and publication. But, um, I just needed to do a thing for me. I just needed to have some fun. Um, so I've been skinny drafting The Scent of Death this week. Um, and I also took on a short, very short ghost written book, which I turned around in like 48 hours. Don't really know how I did that, but I did. Um, what else are we doing? So like next week, I will be working on um, drafting the workbook and I will probably start to edit side characters as well because as soon as that's edited I will then be going on to edit um the third and fourth books in the fantasy series because I need to get those out so oh it's like four I have I literally have like four back-to-back -back books that need editing I really wish I wasn't in that state because editing is not really my favorite so the fact that I'm gonna have to slug through four fucking books of edits is not really the most sensible thing I've ever done, I'll be honest. Um, 
So yeah, but what I am super excited about is to fucking finish them because I have needed the like energy pennies that you get from finishing for so long. And now I am, oh, hello. <laughs> My slack is obviously going off. Anyway, I have needed uh, like the finishing energy, like release, not release, what would you call it? Like sense of achievement for, from completing things for so long. And I'm just pumped and hyper excited to get all of that done. So yeah, I, and also I discovered I actually quite like launching books. So I'm excited to like dive into um, launch research and marketing planning and all of that um, exciting stuff. I don't know if I'm just saying that because I haven't done it for so long or if I genuinely am, like I genuinely do like all of the launch and marketing and stuff. Um, but yeah, I know that I'm excited at the moment. So I am going to run with that um, and start planning lots of exciting lives and different things for launching all of these bloody books. So yes, I think that is probably everything. Oh, and trying to finish the audiobook as well, which I'm now forcing myself to do after the um, Easter holidays is over. So I think that's probably everything that's going on at the minute. Couple of the week, this week is Helen Scheurer. Helen says, I met a guy whilst I was on a solo holiday in New Zealand from Australia. For probably the first time, I followed my heart rather than my anxiety riddled head. And to everyone's shock, I dropped everything to move here to New Zealand less than two months later. That guy from the bar is now my fiance. I love this. I love a romance story. Um, I am really discovering quite how much I love romance. Like I'm not about to jump ship and go and write pure romance books, but I really do think that every single one of my books needs to have romance subplots because it just makes me so happy. Obviously, I'm like dead on the inside and, um, <clears throat> you know, like, <laughs> I don't have emotions or whatever. But um, also, I love love and I love this story and I love that, like, basically you threw caution to the wind and just said, fuck it, like, and oh, just did it for love. It was, it was amazing. I love this story. So yes, anyway, enough of my <laughs> babbling. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or somewhere in between. And come on, guys, you've got to send me in your rebellions. You know you need to. Um, don't be shy. I only buy it on Tuesdays. Uh, you can email your story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or Instagram me at Sasha Black Author. And yeah, like if you have a story and you're nervous to send it in, please don't be. I genuinely, I reply to everybody. I, well, like, we all know I'm shit at replying to emails and it takes me at least a week to get back to you. However, I reply to every single one. So please do, yeah, like drop me your story. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to that person who is listening right now and hasn't sent it even though they know they have a story. You, send me that story. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, two new patrons this week, a huge welcome and a gigantic thank you to new and returning patrons, Kate Sweat and Sarah Louise. And of course, a whopping big thank you to all my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. All right, I think that's it. So in that case, uh, let's get on with the interview and me fangirling like a twat. 
enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am super excited by today's guest. It's one of my own personal favourite authors. I am joined by Crystal Sutherland. Crystal is a former journalist and she worked as a magazine editor and a foreign correspondent for Hijacked, one of Australia's largest youth culture websites. She has also edited Sydney's Blitz magazine. Her first novel, Our Chemical Hearts, was published in over 20 countries and premiered on Amazon Prime in 2020, starring Lily Reinhart, somebody who I think is beautiful, uh, from Riverdale, and Austin Abrams from Euphoria. Her second novel, A Semi-Definitive List of Worst Nightmares, was published to critical acclaim in 2017 and has been optioned for adaptation by Yellowbird USA, uh, US. Originally from Australia, Crystal has lived on four continents and currently calls London home. House of Hollow, which I had the pleasure of reading this week, uh, is her third novel. Hello and welcome. Like, yay! Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) You're most welcome. No, seriously, the honour is all mine. First of all, four continents. That is so cool. Which continents have you uh, lived on? So I was born and grew up in Australia. Uh, and then I studied in Amsterdam, so I was there for a little while. And then I also studied in Hong Kong, so Europe and Asia. Uh, and then I lived in the US for a little while, and I'm back to Europe. So four continents. That is amazing. So my dad lives in Holland, and uh, all my uh, brothers and sisters are like native Dutch speakers, and they've all lived there for like their whole life. So I, I love Amsterdam. It's like such a beautiful city. My favorite thing, other than the canals, is how like all of the buildings are pissed. They just like, they sit drunk. It's like amazing. They they are leaning over. And apparently it's for a reason. It was so it was easier to like winch goods up to the higher levels. I did not know that. Yeah, they're actually built so that they're all leaning a little bit forward. So that you could, um, yeah, you could like, there are all these hooks out the front. If you look at the old buildings, you can see where they used to like, winch goods up to the up to the attics oh my god that's amazing well <laughs> hey I have already learned something on this podcast um so first of all I fucking love your books um our chemical hearts is the first so like after I sort of went to uni I stopped reading at uni mostly because I was having to read so many journals and the same for like your masters and all of that stuff and then I had my son and so I kind of started reading again a little while sort of while I was pregnant and then just just afterwards and Our Chemical Hearts is what is the first book that I binge read I sat down at 6 p.m and I didn't get up until 1 a.m and I was like oh my god I love books again and uh so so yeah I just wanted to say thanks for that so after that, I have uh, like, you know, been obsessively checking your Amazon to see when you're releasing new <laughs> stuff. And um, yeah, so and I loved a semi-definitive uh, list of worst nightmares as well. That sort of like inspired like me to get writing again and all of that stuff. So yeah, now I write full time. So thanks. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, well, you're so welcome. Thank you for reading. That's No, wonderful. of course. So First question, I always ask everybody this. Tell everyone like a little bit more about you other than your bio. Like how did you get to where you are like in your writing journey? How have you you come to where you are today? Yeah, my writing journey has been a long one now. Um, So I decided basically when I was 18, when I left school that I wanted to be an author. Um, A a teacher pulled me aside on my last day of school. and was like, what do you plan to do with your life? Big question. 
was like, I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to win Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, uh, I think you should consider writing as a career, which, you know, is also potentially very bad career advice. <laughs> like, just as, just as impossible as, as winning an Oscar. Uh, but it really sparked something in me. I think, you know, someone that I really respected had, had seen something in me that she thought I should pursue. And so I mulled that over for the next kind of six months after I finished school. And I was like, you know what? I really do. I really do want to be a writer. And thus I embarked on my very first draft uh, of my very first unpublished manuscript, which is a truly, truly, truly terrible book uh, <laughs> where I attempted to put every single fantasy trope and character into one mashup. Mm. So there were like fallen angels, there were wizards and there were, get this, vampires on hoverboards. Oh my God, that is spectacular. Oh, I adore oh, this yeah. story. <laughs> oh yeah. So like sexy bad guy was a vampire on a hoverboard. <laughs> that is uh, amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I really, I should dig out this draft and see if I can like share some of it because it's, it's truly atrocious. Um, but you know, you know, I was, I was learning how to write a book. I was re- learning how to write characters and it was a really useful learning experience. And I spent probably a year, a year and a half kind of chipping away at this draft, thinking that I would be the next JK Rowling and, you know, millions of dollars were just around the corner. Not so, unfortunately. <laughs> really? You surprised um, <laughs> me. <laughs> this doesn't day. happen to everyone. <laughs> and, um, it's kind of progressed from there. I wrote, I wrote two more manuscripts after that one that were not published. And, you know, you're just kind of working on your own in the dark and you, you get up in the morning and you just have to find time for it around regular life because it's not your job yet. Um, and then my fourth book that I started working on when I was in university uh, it became Chemical Hearts and that was the one even the writing of it felt quite different I felt you know I had been writing for probably five years by that point mm. uh, and I felt like I was much more mature as a writer I had better tools available to me to tell the story better tools available to develop character and plot and it was it was really joyous to write and I, I felt confident as I was writing I was like this is going to be the one that I feel comfortable kind of putting out into the world and approaching agents with. And that was, that was what I did when I was towards the end of the the draft of that. I kind of put some feelers out, just cold, cold queries, a, a bunch of agents that I had had on my wish list forever. And one of my dream agents got back to me like 12 hours after I sent my initial email. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, you know, I love the premise. I love the pages. Send through the whole book. And I was freaking out because I hadn't finished writing the end of it yet. And so I was like, ah! <laughs> Spent a couple of really sleepless nights finishing off the draft and then sent it out to her and eagerly awaited her response. And she got back to me and, and offered me representation. So wow. it was kind of the dream when it did happen, but it was, it was probably five or six years between deciding that I wanted to be an author and actually getting that, that first offer of representation from an agent and, and four books in between then as well. Mm. Um, and then that was just the beginning of my professional career as, a, as an author. And then it, 
you know, once you get a book published, that comes with its own hurdles and its own challenges and stresses and, you know, the goalposts keep moving and what you are happy with keeps changing. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a long but happy career so far. So I'm going to throw another question at you because like it just sort of came to me as we were talking. So I apologize yeah. in advance. <laughs> If you don't want to answer it, you don't have to. So like your first two books, and I will ask you about House of Hollow in a second. Your first two books are very much like in the sort of, I mean, I'll probably get the genre wrong, but I would say like contemporary, like young adult, very much set in like yeah. the real world. And there are elements of House of Hollow in the fact that it's mostly set in the real world. But it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a complete genre hop so like are you is that are you intending to stay more with a sort of horror creepy fantasy are you going to do more contemporary like where are you going? yeah I mean this is this is what I was kind of talking about when I say the challenge the challenges of of being a published author so those three manuscripts that I wrote before Chemical Hearts were all much more like House of Hollow so they were fantasy they were horror they were thriller that is what I was reading when I was a teenager. That is what I felt really drawn to as a genre. And that was the kind of writer that I wanted to be. And then <laughs> I hate to say this, but Chemical Hearts almost feels like an accident in retrospect. <laughs> like I was, <laughs> I was a student in university and I was kind of going through my first real heartbreak and you know, writing is such a cathartic exercise. I was like, I'm gonna write a breakup book. I'm gonna write an anti-romance book because I hate love and it's a lie and I'm just gonna write my feelings. Um, and so I wrote I wrote Chemical Hearts and it kind of just poured out of me. It was a book that I just felt I really needed to write at that point in time. And then that was the one that got published. And I was like, oh, wait, I'm a contemporary author now. That's interesting, how did that happen? And so that was something I've really grappled with over the past few years of like, what is my brand? And my agent felt really strongly. She was like, your brand is contemporary. You must keep writing contemporary. And I just, I, you know, I wrote Chemical Hearts and I love that book. And, and then Nightmares, I think you can really see I'm beginning to shift back towards my love of the supernatural and the magic realism and the weird, um, because that book is very much kind of borderline. What is real? What is not? And, you know, death is a character and I'm kind of like, I wanted that book to be a transition back to what I really love to write, which is books like House of Hollow, mm -hmm. where you have the supernatural really brushing up against our world. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of House of Hollow, I do have um, an ARC copy here, which I nearly peed my pants in excitement about. So <laughs> thanks for that, by the way. <laughs> you can see I've already marked it off as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have also got a finished copy because I have to have a finished copy for my shelf. Um, but um, it is exquisite so one of the things that um I absolutely love I've written a book uh, called the anatomy of prose and one of the things that I absolutely adore is like luscious prose and that is one of the things that I loved about House of Hollow so I wondered if um you could tell everyone a little bit about the book before we dive into some of the like things that you've done in there thank you thank you so much uh yeah so the book is about these three sisters, these three weird sisters called the Hollow Sisters, and they, their story is that they went missing when they were children. They disappeared off a street in Scotland on New Year's Eve when they were little, and they were gone for a month, and then they just mysteriously reappeared on the same street that they were taken from. 
with no memory of where they had been or what had happened to them. And they came back a little bit different. So their dark hair had turned blonde and their blue eyes had turned black and they each had a small scar at the base of their throats. But apart from that, they were totally fine. And they just kind of went home with their parents and continued on with their lives. And then the story starts 10 years later with the youngest sister, Iris is our protagonist. And she's just trying to kind of like live a normal life and is, feels like she needs to escape from all the weird stuff that kind of magnetized to her and her sisters. Uh, and then the eldest sister, Grey, goes missing again under the same kind of mysterious circumstances. And uh, the other two sisters kind of decide to team up and investigate what happened to them when they were kids so they can find and save their sister. And it is so creepy and so like rich in terms of like the sense and the atmosphere and I'm going to ask you all about this in a sec okay. but um I have to say I'm very impressed at your pitch because I'm absolutely shite at pitching my own books so <laughs> I'm <laughs> very <you>. impressed. <laughs> Thanks um, very much I've been I've been practicing. Yeah, yeah. I could tell it's amazing. <laughs> Um, all right, so we are here uh, to talk mostly about House Apollo. Um, and one of the things you, you mentioned, Vivi, uh, Gray and Iris, and one of the things that um, I wanted to ask you about is your incredible characters. Like, Vivi is such a rebel. Obviously, that's why she appealed to me. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and they're so like memorable. So mm. I wanted to ask, like, what advice would you give to writers um, trying to create those really rich, memorable characters? Yeah, so I mean, this is something that I, I struggle with. People do tell me that I'm, I'm good at creating character, but I feel like in my first drafts, that's not the case at all. Like a consistent note that I get back from my editors is your characters feel flat and one dimensional. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so for me, it's really about going back again and again and again and building, uh, building layers through each draft. And honestly, like, I don't know who the characters are in the first draft or the second draft or even the third draft. It's about like pulling out these little memories and moments and, and their physicality as well and layering that up over the drafts. And a way, a way into the sisters for me actually was the way that they all approached their beauty because they all have a different approach to the way that they look. So they're very ethereally beautiful. They're kind of unnaturally they feel a bit dangerously beautiful, these three mm. women. And they all feel very differently about how they look. So you have Grey, who is a supermodel and she it really embraces this beauty. She uses it as a tool. She accentuates it wherever possible. She's just like the embodiment of sex, basically. And then you have Vivi, who really rebels against it. And she, you know, attempts to subvert our expectations of, of beauty you know she shapes her head she's covered in tattoos she's covered in piercings she's like living a very alternative lifestyle over in Europe in like the dive bars and just having the best time ever um, and then you have Iris who is kind of in the middle of her two sisters where she doesn't try to accentuate her beauty but she doesn't try to rebel against it and that for me was the way into those three characters that became the way that I could build the rest of their lives uh, around around them because it's this profound thing like that's the first thing you see about them um, and how they either embrace or rebel 
against it. Yeah. I love that. I, what I'm writing, I've just finished a book uh, on teaching other writers how to create better side characters. And one of the things uh, that I focus on, one of the chapters is all about theme and how your side characters should be, a, uh, like your protagonist is obviously the embodiment of your book's theme, but your side characters should be like a variation on that, a representation, like an alternative viewpoint and an alternative answer to like the theme question. And yeah, I love that. I, I, I love that that's how you went into the book as well. Like that's how mm. you like discovered who they are. Yeah, lo- I love that. Okay, so the other thing that you have done amazingly in this book is create a really like creepy, chilling kind of atmosphere. So how did you do that? And like what tips or advice would you give to writers wanting to create that like really sumptuous atmosphere? So I actually didn't know this was going to be a creepy book when I started writing it. (laughs) And now it's clearly, it's very clearly a horror book, a a creepy book. It's full of this dark kind of brooding atmosphere. But I didn't know I was writing a a horror book when I started. And it, (laughs) I mean, I just kind of accidentally uh, wrote one. Uh, But for me, I kept coming back to, I, I had this kind of, word bubble if you will where I had this document that I had written on the iPad where I had these particular words I kept being drawn back to and they were to do with senses and and colors and and smells and stuff like that so it was like perfume was a particular one and then um, green as well I wanted the book to feel really like green was just the color I kept coming back to Mm. like luscious Moss um, to me. Moss, yeah, moss and greenery. And yeah, I just had this sense of these certain few words. Like I knew it was about smells. I knew it had to be green. I knew that like, and like earth and infection were other words that I had too. Mm. And then from these words, I had just offshoots of, I guess, synonyms for, for all of these words. But it, it just opened up into this huge vocabulary and that became the vocabulary of the book. Um, so things that were associated with forest, things that are associated with perfume, things that are associated with infection. And whenever I found myself like struggling or maybe I had a bit of writer's block, I would go back to this master document of, of words, which I guess is just in retrospect, an atmosphere Bible um, and I would just re-immerse myself in in what I was trying to evoke. Uh, and that was really helpful. I've never done that for a book before, but I think I will do that in subsequent things that I'm working on, just have this kind of reference back to what you are trying to achieve overall as a feeling. So I know what I'm going to be doing this afternoon. <laughs> I'm, I'm writing a book called The Scent of Death at the moment. And um, smell is obviously, called The Scent of Death, is yeah. really, really important. And that is fucking brilliant. I love that so much. I am literally going to spend this afternoon doing that because oh. like I create word bags often for dialogue, like for character mm. dialogue, but I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily do it for like the book or that, or like the world, but yeah. Oh my God. I love that idea. That is uh, amazing. I'm literally going to do it this afternoon. So thank, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. I found it really useful and I didn't even necessarily end up using all of those words. It was just useful as a web of kind of 
reference for mm. for where I was going yeah so I'm gonna throw another question at you are you mm. and you people I hate these words but are you a plotter or like a pantser like do you because <laughs> you sort of said you've done some things by accident so I'm like are you a yeah. pantser or like how does this work <laughs> I am becoming more of a plotter as I go along so chemical hearts no plan just you know, writing my feelings, crying while I'm typing, that kind of thing. <laughs> get it out there, get the emotions on the page. Um, but as I have, you know, progressed in my career and it's become less of a hobby and more of my actual job, I, I don't like to have a huge, messy, unwieldy draft that I don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. So at the very least, I would I would begin with, like a strong main character and then a few important plot points that I know I want to hit along the way. Maybe I don't know exactly what the ending is going to be. Maybe I don't know exactly what happens in the middle. Actually, I never know what happens in the middle, but I know kind of three or four beats that I need to hit. And then with House of Hollow, I actually did do more planning. I did, I, I do these graphs now of kind of emotional beats that I know I want to hit along the way. And then it becomes more about like, what do I want readers to feel at a particular point in the book mm. rather than like what happens next in the story? Like what happens next in the story is almost led by what I want people to feel next. Because I want to take people on a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Like they're safe, they're unsafe they're safe. Oh no, they're really unsafe now. And that was what I was trying to achieve with House of Hollows. So the plot became driven by this desire to kind of mess with the audience's emotions. Um, And then I'm working on a new project now, which is also kind of halfway in between plotting and pantsing, uh, where, you know, I have my characters, I know the general direction that I'm going in, I know roughly kind of some of the emotional beats that I want to hit, but I don't have the whole thing planned out for sure. Like I like discovering the story as I write it. I like the characters to kind of come alive to me as I'm in the weeds. Um, And so I know some people who just plan everything before they write and that is definitely not me. So I'm, I'm kind of halfway in between, yeah. I love that. I love um, people's different processes. They fascinate me. Mm. This, it's yeah, it's something I always like ask people all the time. Just because, well, off air mostly, but because I'm just so fascinated that <laughs> yeah. like, in all of the hundreds of people I've spoken to, I've never like heard two processes the same. And and that is what I find fascinating that we all come yeah. out with a finished book, and yet it's totally different. I think when you're starting out as a writer, you really want to know the right formula. You want to know exactly what is the right thing to do. And the answer is there is no right thing to do. It's like you find your way of doing it and it's going to work for you and probably not for anyone else. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree. And the other crazy thing is, I don't know if you found this, but not every book gets written in the, in the like same way. So some, some books I outline down to like the minute detail and other books have just fallen onto the page, like without much of anything. And even now, like I struggle, I have a very clear process for nonfiction, but for my fiction, like (laughs) it's anyone's guess how this book's going to get written. (laughs) 100%. I I went to this fantastic event with Garth Nix a few years ago in London 
and he he had just released his 32nd book and someone asked him a similar question like how do you write a book and he was like you know if I was a carpenter and I had made 32 chairs I would know how to make a chair mm-hmm. but I am an author and I've written 32 books and I still feel like I don't know how to write a book because mm-hmm. each one is different and it's super frustrating but every time you start a new project it is like starting again like I get on Google and I look up how to plot a book every time I start (laughs) I'm not kidding every time I start a new project I'm like how did I do this before I know I can do it because I have done it but I just need a refresher yeah 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 and what story structure again even yeah. though you've written like a gazillion books and you know you know the story I structure I do um, it I'm like what's an inciting incident I can't yeah. remember <laughs> oh I feel like Garth just gave me like permission to not know what the fuck I'm doing most of the time which yeah. is brilliant <laughs> I know I I hold that quote dear to my heart every time I start a new project I'm like yeah. Garth doesn't know what he's doing it's fine if I don't know what I'm doing yeah exactly amazing um all right. I mean, you sort of covered this earlier, um, but one of the things that I wanted to ask smell is one of my favorite senses to work with in prose. So um, I don't know whether you have like any other advice or tips to give writers about creating a really rich sense of smell um, in, in your work. Mm, so, I mean, I love the book Perfume, which I'm sure you will have read if you're writing a book on scary one, right? Perfume. Yeah. Patrick yeah. Siskin, yeah. I think, uh, is, is the author. If you are interested in including more smells in your in your work, read this book because it is just the most sumptuous, phenomenal exploration of scent that I've ever read in in literature. And I feel like smell in particular is a, a, an underutilized sense in literature mm-hmm. um, because we focus very much on the visual, like what does the room look like? what do you know what do the characters hear what do they feel in their bodies but scent really felt kind of I don't see that as much or feel that as much when I'm reading and so I really wanted to take the time to stop and think about what each like new room or new discovery smelled like for these uh these characters as they kind of traipse through my version of London trying to unravel their secrets and again, I didn't know this was going to be a smelly book when I started writing it, <laughs> but it's ended up being super smelly. Like there's a lot of, a lot of death and florals and rot and you know, animals and smoke and damp and earth. Um, but for me, it just became a really evocative way of opening up my version of this like fantastical London which is alive with these kind of horrible, intense smells. One of the main reasons I focus on smell in my own work, like like more over that than the other senses is because of the um the how it works in the brain so I studied psychology at university mm. and the 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 pathways in our brain our um nasal and I'm not going to remember all the names of it but the nasal pathways run um underneath where our brain processes memory and okay. so what happens is that um when you fire that's why like let's say so 
I went to Nepal years ago and there's a very specific joystick that when I smell that smell, I am transported back to Nepal. And it's because the um, smell synapses like fire and they like tickle <laughs> the memory yeah. synapses. And so you get like this really big, um, like evocative memory that's full of like smell and, and time and place. And so like the other thing that happens is in fun functional MRI scanners, when we are told to like think of, let's say, I think the most famous example is you're told to think of playing tennis and the same areas in your brain light up as if you were actually playing tennis. So you, uh -huh. but even though that you're not, and so your brain thinks that it's playing tennis. There's no difference in the brain between playing tennis and thinking that you're playing tennis, which is why like sports people do a lot of visualization, but the uh -huh. same thing happens with our smell, with our senses. So if, when you're reading and you you read smell, your brain lights up as if it's smell that you're experiencing. So it's, that's why it's so evocative for, for readers. So yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I had no idea, but I'm going to keep sticking smells into my book. That's incredible. <laughs> All my books from now on shall be smelly. Yes. <laughs> it would be so great if you, if you had like little jars of scents that you could read along the way, like accompany books to books. That would be very like smell-o-vision. Yeah. Smell-o-vision. Why yeah. have they not brought that out yet? I literally oh. don't know. Um, Okay, so let's uh, move to our chemical hearts then. I absolutely loved the way that you introduced your characters, like especially Grace. Um, she was like this amazing juxtaposition of completely bog-standardly average girl with ultimate mystery and intrigue. <laughs> so like, what do you focus on when introducing characters? And like, what advice can you give to listeners about those like you know really making that big bang on the page when when you introduce a new side character yeah so for grace she began as an image for me uh the whole book actually was based around this image of this this girl walking into drama class on the you know the third tuesday of senior year like who is she and that became the central driving point of the novel was to kind of unravel the mystery of her but when i'm introducing characters specifically like like what kind of language do I use? I, I think of this, it's a lyric, I think. I can't remember which song it's from, um, but it's she She walked in through the exit door and it's just so evocative, right? It tells you so much about a character in such a short, snappy, quippy way. Like she walked in through the exit door. We already know she's a bit of a rebel. You know, you can you can build character in that way. So that's what I try and think about. Like, instead of just saying she was rebellious, how can we show that? What is an interesting way to show that? Is it through her clothing? Is it through an action? Is it through a line of dialogue? Just thinking about ways that you can evoke what you're trying to communicate without saying it yeah without saying it so show it don't say it I love it <laughs> I I absolutely like one of the other things that I loved is how you played with like the um I don't know what the right word is but like the the format and structure so you know like you had like bullet point well, numbered bullet points and stuff and so often 
I don't know, like I literally have post-its on my computer that says you have permission. So even though mm. like I am really rebellious, rebellious and as soon as somebody tells me there's a rule, I like go out of my way to break it. <laughs> like sometimes I need permission. Oh fuck, now I can't get it back on my computer. Um, <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, and like sometimes I need to be given permission to like do things with my writing or, you know, like swearing on a podcast or whatever. And yeah, so like I love that your books kind of give me permission to just be outside of that box and to do something different, like with, with, yeah, with, with my writing. So yeah, I love that. And also I literally think I'm going to have to write down that. Um, she walked in the exit door because yeah. that is awesome. Um, I will have to look up what, uh, what song it's from, but it's a, it's a great line and yeah. Yeah. And, and so true as well. It's almost when you were speaking it, it like, you know, when you, when you're writing your blurbs or whoever does your blurb or whatever you're pitching your pitching your book so often we have to create these like taglines and what I was thinking is it's like a tagline for a character you know yeah. and like yeah so I may have to I may have to like think about how I can create character taglines as well I'm yeah, so that's, much. A, that's a good way of thinking of it too like yeah what is their tagline and use that as kind of a base to introduce them yeah Okay, one of the other things that um, I loved in Our Chemical Hearts was like the emotion. And like I, like I said at the, the top of the interview, I sat down and I literally, like my wife went to bed and I was like, yeah, yeah, uh, like, yeah, yeah, I'll be up in a minute. Like I wasn't, I had to like sit yeah. there and finish the book. And I think it's because like you ripped my heart out, you know, like... <laughs> I I was like you know pulled along emotionally throughout the whole thing and that is why I couldn't put the book down because I just had to know like what happened um and so yeah like how do you do that like how do you create such wrenching emotion on the page I think you know you give a character something to want that they that they want and, and it's in front of them and you want that for them as well because you think that they that will make them happy and they think that will make them happy and it's about them trying to get what they want. Uh, so I read this interesting book recently called The Bestseller Code, which is about kind of AI algorithms, reading all of the New York Times bestsellers from the past 30 years and finding out kind of what they have in common and why they maybe hit bestseller lists and other books didn't. And one of the things I found really interesting was that uh, a word that is used really frequently in huge bestsellers is want. Like the character has a very specific want. And they say this, they actually say it. They're like, I want this, not I need this or I'm looking for this. It's a very strongly just, I want this. And that I think is what propel, propels um, plot along. And it also is what propels emotion when you know exactly what the character wants um you become invested in that journey now what they want and what they need are often two very different things and I think that is where a lot of interesting like conflict and emotion comes from as well because you know in Chemical Hearts what Henry wants is to be with Grace and to have a happily ever after and what he needs is very different uh, to that because what he wants is just non-feasible but that I think is where the investment comes from having a strong want uh, and then probably an, a need that is in conflict with that want 
Yeah, I love that so much. I've never heard it put quite like that. So, Mm. you know, we all know that our characters need to like want something, but I've never Mm. thought about it in terms of an emotional want. Mm. Like I've always, you know, what is the goal of the book? What are they trying to achieve? But yeah, that Mm. is, that is, I am going to go away and, you know, I need to like think (laughs) and process that, but I feel like I'm going to be, you know, I, I might even like, I don't know. I'm clearly having a brain epiphany and that's why I can no longer speak. Um, but yeah, thank you for this. I do this every so often, like on my podcast, my poor listeners are like, wow, she's fucked the podcast again. Can't speak anymore. I mean, it's, it's the last day of lockdown. I think all of our brains are, are pretty mushy by this point. So mm-hmm. yeah, we all have good excuses. Um, one of the other things that I think is brilliant, um, Vivi was very good at this in House of Hollow, but um, particularly in uh, uh, Our Chemical Hearts was the banter. Um, And I think loads of writers are afraid of touching like humour and comedy, Mm. um, unless they're writing, you know, like a humour book. But actually you can sprinkle humour and banter and stuff into your your books, even when they're not like about that. Um, So what advice would you have uh, to any writer, you know, to to create better banter or or sort of dialogue and... Yeah, I think, first of all, like you said, like, don't be afraid of introducing some levity into your books. I think it's essential in in heavier books, especially. So Chemical Hearts is just kind of like dragging you through these teenage emotions. I wanted there to be some levity to it uh, and to have this kind of like dark comedic element uh, underneath. So you have these moments of lightness. So don't be afraid, I think, of if you're writing a serious book or a horror book or a sad book to have some moments of humor. And then something I do as well is, and I don't do this often because it's hard to remember, but just listen to the way that people speak to each other, which is very often different to how we write dialogue in books because, you know, reading dialogue is different to how you actually talk to other humans. But occasionally I will just stop and listen to a conversation and try and like, try and capture the way that people kind of have this lightness in their everyday conversation um and yeah yeah listening to to actual conversations for me has been really useful as a memory tool and as a tool for introducing a bit of kind of humor um I'm going in circles now (laughs) and not saying anything particularly useful but yeah yeah listen to real people bantering and try and do do the same thing workplace banter gotta love a bit of workplace banter banter. I don't have anybody to talk to you now (laughs) perils of being a writer (laughs) I know I think my bantering skills are going to be pretty low uh for the next (laughs) for the next six months I've got to work up my banter muscles yeah (laughs) all right this is my favorite question this is the rebel author podcast so tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel oh my god I'm I'm like not rebellious at all. I'm the the rule follower. I'm like Iris in House of Hollow. She's, you know, she's the quiet, studious one. Um, a time I've been a rebel. I guess changing genres is my rebellious, my rebel author moment. It is, it's a tough, 
it's a tough sell to go from contemporary to horror. Like you have to convince a lot of people along the way. I had to convince my agent uh, to, to let me do it for a long time. She was like, no, you must continue writing contemporary. And then, you know, you're never sure if your publisher is going to, to buy what you're selling, if they've established you as, as something different. But I felt really strongly and passionately that this is what I wanted to write. This was the kind of direction that I wanted to take. And I had to back myself at each kind of new step of the way. Uh, so that's maybe kind of lame, but that's my rebel moment and I'm sticking to it. I love it. I also uh, in the back in your in your bio that there was a, a rebel moment in there as well about reading Harry Potter, which I also loved. Like when I, yes. when I saw that, I was like, oh, she's a dark horse. <laughs> oh, yes. I forgot that. Oh, that was my earliest rebel moment. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I come from quite a strict religious background. My grandma was kind of banned me from reading Harry Potter when I was a kid. Um and so, of course, I was immediately interested in what I was being banned from. And my grandma used to take me to the library every weekend and we would get out a bunch of books. Uh, so I also couldn't just go to the library and, and borrow it because she was the one who kind of put everything through for me. And so I decided to steal it. I, <laughs> I found a copy of Harry Potter and I hid it in my backpack and my my like 10 year old heart was beating so fast as I walked out the doors. Um, and I, I read Harry Potter at home, kind of in secret by night, by like torchlight. And just this whole world opened up to me. I think that was really my introduction to, to loving stories and loving books, as I'm sure it was for many people. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was my first rebel moment. And I, I was a book thief. I literally love that story so much. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, look where it's got you. This is like your career. Like yeah. it's what a, what a rebel moment. I, I love that also because you were like 10. I know. <laughs> Brilliant. I and I had never stolen anything before in my life. And like, also, because we were from quite a religious family, like stealing is bad. Yes. But it was the library, you know. Yes. Like, I took it. I took it back eventually. Um, it just didn't go through the official system, so yes. a little bit of a little bit of a work around there. Very rebellious. Okay, what can we expect from like from you next? I think I'm going to stick on this on this path of writing kind of darker more horror um still YA but the one that I'm working on at the moment is also set in London it's kind of like occult vibes there are some you know you know demons and magic and murder and mystery and what have you and I really love writing those kinds of stories and so I'm gonna keep doing it amazing will you will you write in a series or will they always be standalone I would love to write a series at some point. And I think, you know, there's space at the end of House of Hollow potentially for a sequel. So we'll see. And this next one that I'm working on as well, I'm loving spending time with the characters and spending time in this world. So if there's a series potential for that one, would love to pursue that too. Amazing. Tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books and anything else you would like to add. So you can find out uh, about me at my website, crystalsutherland.com, or you can find me on Instagram at km underscore Sutherland. That has links to where you can buy the book, where you can uh, register for events, 
and uh, yeah, those are probably the two best places. Amazing. I will, of course, leave all of the um, like links and stuff in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for your time today. I can't believe we are at the end of this interview. Um, and of course, a huge thank you to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as stacks of bonus stuff, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And a big whopping thank you to all of the show's listeners. I'm Sasha Black, you were listening to Crystal Sutherland and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week I'm going to be joined by an absolute titan of the indie industry, Orna Ross, who is both uh, the Alliance of Independent Authors Director and their founder. She's also an inspirational poet, author and general fucking legend. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. (music) 